Today I want to take you all the way back. We're starting a series today um, called Emmaus Road's Greatest Hits. This is going to be fun over the next few weeks. I want to take you all the way back in time to September 7th, 2008. In the grand ballroom at the Rio Vista Recreation Center, where about 20 people started off in June of that year with the crazy idea to start a new church. Very crazy because God failed to tell that group of people that the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression was going to happen that summer. And so they launched out and over the next few weeks lost somewhere around between fifty and $100,000 worth of funding. You know, that's kind of a big deal when you're going to be paying bills and renting nice facilities and buying all kinds of the equipment that you want so that you can have a new church that's like, yeah, yeah, all that money was gone. We had a few thousand dollars. We were barely making it week to week if. And we printed, we, we were able to splurge and get about $200 worth of flyers and pass them out. No billboards, no commercial radio spots on the radio, which you would normally do. No direct mail blitzing people. Nothing, not, not any of the kind of stuff you're supposed to do when you're, when you're going to start a church. All there was was just a handful of us with a crazy idea and $200 worth of flyers that we printed on a borrowed copier and just didn't tell them we were printing 200 full-color flyers. We passed those out, and on September 7, 2008, 135 people gathered and filled that ballroom. We were blown away, just blown away. We had many dignitaries and people that showed up and were all important. Of course, we had to thank them, and so glad that you guys are here. And then we went on to start a series that day that was, as in, that was entitled this, How to Follow Jesus Without Becoming a Narrow-Minded, Judgmental, Self-Righteous Hypocrite. I remember announcing the title. Now, the title did give us some publicity, because people were like, wow, this is interesting. I remember announcing the title and looking at the crowd, and my former pastor was sitting there, and he had this weird eyebrow that went. That's a tall order, how to follow Jesus without becoming a narrow-minded, judgmental, self-righteous hypocrite. Because honestly, on some level, I think when we look at that list, we're all like, yeah, I can see myself in there from time to time, some places. But the truth is, is I've thought back over the past five years. Our church has been in existence five years. We started, how old is, how old are you guys on average? Huh? About 20s? 20s? Yeah, we were like, I was, I had just turned 30. And the majority of us were 20s and early 20s. How old were you, Nick, when we started? 21? 21? How, how old were you, Brandon? 19 or 20? Wes, about the same? 18, 19? Right? Julie was 19. That's my wife. Jeez. All right? So a bunch of young, crazy kids 
Really? You guys were 20? I remember that. You guys were 27? Just a bunch of young, crazy kids that really, I mean, a young group that thought, you know, if God's for us, who can be against us? And who lost all the resources that it took to do things that you would want to do? And there we stood on that day, 137, or 135 people there, room full of kids, just utter chaos. We're going, this is happening. It was awesome. We started this series. Now, what I didn't know was that over the next five years, God, I, well, God was going to be teaching us a lot about how to do this in real life. Because at first, when I first preached this message, it was just catchy and cool and edgy. And by the way, I'm wearing Converse today, wearing my Chucks. You know why? Because I wore a shirt kind of like this on our opening day. And there was this big debate whether we should present me as a pastor who wears dress shoes or Chucks. And I decided to wear my Harley Davidson boots instead when I really wanted to wear Chucks. So I thought today, Chucks. Plus, what are you going to do about it? Um, but God, I think over the past five years, I can say for myself, has taught me a lot about what this really looks like. Because at the time, I thought I was pretty, I thought I was pretty open-minded. At the time, I thought I was pretty non-judgmental. Didn't think I was very self, very self-righteous or a hypocrite. And over the last five years, I've learned to see those things in myself in ways that were surprising, as I'm sure many of you did. We went from a church that was going to have all the money and hundreds of people within six months to a year to a church of a little more than we started with that was barely making it. I mean, barely making it. As many of us lost jobs. Think of this. This is fall 2008. People losing jobs everywhere. People's homes going upside down, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there we were, launched out, doing church together. Some of you guys, you can remember being there, thinking, oh, God, here we are. This is happening. And we gather together every week, and we worship. And things wouldn't go our way, gosh, so many times. And then God would show up and do the most amazing, crazy, unbelievable, miraculous things along the way that made us all go, whoa. I, as a pastor, learned what it, what it, what it really means to be a pastor of people. Because prior to that, my training had pretty much trained me primarily to be a really good showman to be an excellent public orator, to speak well, to have a fancy show, to know how to attract people, to know how to use social, uh, social psychology and, and uh, social theory to be able to attract and to grow crowds. More like a Christian entrepreneur or businessman than a shepherd of people that does life with people and walks with people. I remember God brought me to a crisis moment in those first months where I had to decide whether I was going to love the people that God brought and teach them to follow Him, or whether I was just going to try to use them to get more people and to grow bigger and bigger crowds. And I'm not against big crowds. I love big crowds. In fact, if you guys weren't here today, 
I'd be depressed. Uh, but when we started, we had this idea that for people who have never been a part of a church, never been to church, never been a part of it, and even for some people that are, they've got this whole idea of Jesus that can be so skewed, so distorted, so negative. Just this week, my wife told me a story about a woman she works with. She uh, at at um at a, a local high school, and this uh, woman is uh, a converted Jew. She's a Jew, not a Jew that believes in Jesus. She practices Judaism, and she told Julie about a Christian woman that insisted on coming and giving her a Christmas card. Not because she was like really trying to wish her Merry Christmas, but because that was the way she wanted to tell her about Jesus. Because, you know, she's Jewish and she's probably going to go to hell or something. And so she forced this woman to have a Christmas card and the woman graciously accepted it and said, thank you, but we don't celebrate Christmas. At which point the Christian woman looked her in the face and said, well, and by the way, you guys are all going to hell anyways, and turned around and walked off. This happens. I wonder sometimes if the world sees our big Christian gatherings and our Christian bumper stickers and our Christian this and our Christian that and our Christian t-shirts and sometimes gets the wrong idea about Jesus. A few years ago, a friend of mine gave me a set of videos. I'm going to play them for you. I'm going to play all of them for you. It's going to take like nine minutes. You will be entertained. This video, These videos, someone took an old, old Jesus movie and dubbed over the words, this group called Vintage 21, dubbed over the words. And now, you, I, I hope that you don't find it offensive, because it is kind of offensive. But rather than be offended about it, I give you permission to laugh, number one. But two, look at it and ask yourself, is this the picture that people in the world have of Jesus? Is this how people look at Jesus, and where would they have got those kind of ideas? Go for it. So obviously a silly video. Sorry if it offended you. I don't normally get to talk to you guys, so were you guys offended? No? Good. Right, but did you see anything in it that is kind of true about pictures of the way people see Jesus? And where would they get such an idea? Obviously, if you pick up the pages of the Bible and you read it, Jesus is very unlike that image. One of the things that, that does scare me from time to time is the idea that there's probably people out there that have a really distorted picture of Jesus because of the way that I behaved myself or the way the church behaved itself on an occasion. I wish the whole world would be like Gandhi. I'm actually a fan of Gandhi. He, have you ever heard this quote from Gandhi? He said, I like their, I like their Christ. I don't like their Christians. Their Christians are so unlike their Christ. I wish the world would say that about Jesus, but I know that that's just wishful thinking. I think on this journey, as Emmaus wrote, we learned something, and I know I at least learned something. A secret to, at least one secret here, of what it looks like to be a true follower of Jesus, to really follow him. 
and not somehow on the way become narrow-minded and judgmental and self-righteous and hypocritical. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 5. We're going to read one text of Scripture, and it's very, very familiar. One of the most familiar texts of, of Jesus comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's a surprising text in a lot of ways. Now, you've probably heard it before. Chances are some of you guys have probably heard it about a million times. So I want, you, I want to try to challenge you to do your best to listen to it as if you were hearing it from the first time, for the first time. Try your best to do that and listen with fresh ears. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, or I'm starting at verse 1 yet. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Pray. Lord, here is an ancient and a familiar text. Such a familiar saying to so many of us. I'm not sure either. But Lord, for that person and for the rest of us, would you help us to get at least a little clearer picture of who you are for us and the world today. In Christ's name. Amen. At first glance, right, this looks like another thing that we don't want, right? This list that we call the Beatitudes. Here's another list that looks like a list of rules, more guidelines, more expectations, more stuff that we probably just can't live up to. And it's like, dang, man, I already have all these expectations and this pressure on me to perform and to succeed and to do well and to excel. And I don't feel like I am meeting people's expectations. And here comes Jesus giving me a list like this. Is this really what I want? Is this really something else I need? Consider this. We're really used to that way of thinking. We're really used to laws. We're really used to checklists. 
to-do lists, job descriptions, performance evaluations, grades, midterms, finals, papers here, there, assessments. Our mind works that way. Our culture has enculturated us that way, to be thinking like that. Because that's what you need to think like to be successful. And so we read Jesus, we come to Jesus and we read this and go, okay, another list. Man, I'm not sure I can do this one. But what if this wasn't what Jesus was getting at at all? Think about it. The people that Jesus was speaking to on this particular day were normal people like you and I. Not so different from us. They needed to make a living. Some of them had kids to raise. Some of them were kids being raised, doing the same kind of stuff we all do. Challenging times. Some of these people were raised in a really strict religious culture. And then on top of that, they were being raised under foreign domination. The Roman Empire controlled their lives. It was the Roman emperors and the Roman officials who were the rich and the powerful. And these people were being exploited. Probably some people in this room would understand that a whole lot better than others. What that's like. This was the world they lived in. Jesus looks out on them. These people were probably raised with the idea that if you're really blessed by God in life, if you're really blessed by God, you're going to be rich, influential, popular, and powerful. Not too different from today, right? You know, think about it. When things are going good for people, when they're making money, when things are going well, when they're powerful, they're liked, they're popular, you ask them how they're doing, they're like, I'm blessed. When things are going the opposite way, we tend to think that God's not blessing them or God's just waiting to bless them or something like that. Not only that, well, not only did they think that you needed to be rich and powerful and successful and all that to be blessed by God, but there was another idea that was pretty popular too. This idea is also pretty common today. The idea that everything happens for a reason. How many of you guys have heard that one? Everything happens for a reason. Right? There was this one time that Jesus' disciples came and asked him, literally, they, there was a man who was blind who needed help, and his Jesus' disciples looked at Jesus and said, hey, whose fault is it that this guy was born blind? Can you imagine the audacity? Really. Think about it. He's a blind guy who maybe Jesus could heal him, and his disciples wanted to have some kind of theoretical discussion about whose fault it was, because everything happens for a reason. People kind of thought like, if you were poor, or broken, or oppressed, or weak, you somehow deserved it. Somehow you earned that place in life. Kind of like, um, kind of like the idea of karma that you could find in um, in Hinduism or Buddhism. That somehow, in some way, for some reason, you deserve your station in life. And so, if you're poor and broken. Somehow you're responsible, or somebody is responsible for that. You didn't earn or merit God's blessing. This crowd that Jesus was speaking to probably felt rejected by God. 
probably felt like God couldn't stand the sight of them. He might tolerate them, but that's about it. He doesn't really want them around that much. They might have in their mind that if God did look at them, the expression on his face was one of disapproval and shame. One of disappointment. But Jesus saw something different than that. In Matthew 9.36, gives us a clue. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this is my question this morning. What if Jesus saw this crowd of people like you and I? He climbed this hill and sat down and called his disciples, and he looked out into the crowd. And his point was not to give them another list, not to point out all of their failures, not to make things harder. What if his point was to turn the tables in a surprising way? What if Jesus in these verses was saying things aren't what they seem, friends? Things are not what they seem. What if Jesus sitting there up on that hill got a good vantage point? And he looked out over his, the shoulders of his disciples and he looked out into the faces of people who would have been considered poor and weak and broken and not good enough. Looked into the faces of people who thought they deserved all the bad stuff that was happening to them in life. People that didn't feel like they were good enough. And then in a way that rocked the establishment of that day, looks at them and says, You're blessed and dearly loved. I can picture Jesus looking out into the crowd and maybe catching the locking eyes with someone and saying, Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. You're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are you. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed. As he began to see the things that they, all the reasons that they would have thought they weren't blessed. And he said, things aren't what they see. What if he was saying they were dearly loved of God? What if he was saying, I know life is hard. I know it's disappointing. I know it hurts sometimes. And I'm with you. I'm choosing to stand with you. 
What if he's seeing them as they really are? What if he's not looking with eyes that are judgmental? Eyes that are shaming? The distant eyes of some religion, but eyes of compassion. And what if his words were not meant to be disheartening or destructive, but affirming and energizing and magnetizing something that called to the depths of who they are, called them to come to him and call you and I to come to him today in the same way? What if he began to speak and tell them, God wants to be for you. God does see you. You are blessed. God will not abandon you. There's three basic kinds of people in this room, I'm guessing, not to overgeneralize. I used to define them this way five years ago when I started the church, so might as well continue the tradition. I'll call them seekers, stumblers, and sold-out people. There's some people in this room that really honestly don't know about this Jesus stuff. And that's cool. And if you're here and that's where you are, I'm so glad that you're here. And I hope that I'm doing a halfway decent job of showing you that Jesus isn't like what sometimes is portrayed of him. And I would hope that you would give Jesus a chance on his terms. That would be my hope. But you're saying, I don't, I don't really know about this. I don't know if I believe in this stuff. If you're here, I would encourage you to try something. What do you got to lose? Do what I would call an experiment of faith. An experiment of faith. Pray. I mean, think about it. You probably talk to yourself all the time, right? That's kind of weird. So, you know, talk to the air. But say something like this. God, if you're really here, if you're really there, would you help me to somehow be aware of it? Would you reveal yourself to me and make yourself known to me? If you're there, I want to know you, obviously. I mean, what human being would not want to know if there's a God? Especially a God like the one Jesus is presenting. One that loves those whom the world doesn't think are worthy enough. One who identifies with the outsiders, the marginalized, the broken, the outcast, the hurting, the despised. One that stands with the weak. One that humbles the strong. One that lifts the lowly. One that mends the broken. Who wouldn't want? See, if you're seeking today, I would say, try an experiment of faith. Ask God if he's there. Go a little further. Everybody in here is pretty smart. Pretty sure everybody can read. Try to read one of the Gospels. We use that term for the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Pick one of them. Go for it. Matthew's a little more Jewish. John's written a little later, and it's a little more Gentile. Mark is the shortest, so you might want to go for that one. Luke, though, you might like because Luke gives us a picture of how compassionate Jesus is. In Luke, we get a picture of Jesus who consistently sides with the broken, with the outcast. We see Jesus' love for the poor, 
the broken, the marginalized, which included women in those days. Women were not well looked upon or treated well in the first century. And we see that Jesus honors women, and they're a part of his ministry. You might try that. Second kind of person in here, I would call you a stumbler. I'm not trying to judge you or put a label. This is just something that helps me organize my thoughts. But you're the guy or girl who right now is just one of those rocky times in your life and you want to follow Jesus, but you just don't feel like it's happening for you. You're going back and forth, being pulled this way and then that way. Most days you kind of feel like you're two people at least, or if not three. You want to follow Jesus, but then you also want to do what it seems like you got to do. You deal with guilt and shame, and then because you don't want to feel guilt and shame, because that just sucks, you probably self-medicate so you can forget about it. I get it. But you would say somewhere in your heart, if somebody asks you, what religion are you? You would say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. My advice to you this morning is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw this away. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Can I be real? Listen, I'm probably not going to see a lot of you guys for a long time. Right? Except for the We're guaranteed to see each other in heaven. You know, sometimes I pray, and when I pray, I get so honest with God that I use words that would offend people. Just being honest with you. Sometimes I go through some stuff in my life that's really hard and really difficult. I find great comfort in God letting me tell him how I feel about it. You guys know the book of Psalms, right? One-third of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are Psalms of Lament. You know what Lament is a fancy word for? Poetic complaining. They say things like, how long, God? Why? Where are you? What are you doing? They even, there's other ones, where they're like, God, would you please kill this person? Now, God doesn't have to say yes to those kind of prayers, but sometimes it's nice to pray them. Really. You know, sometimes it's like, God, I don't, I'm sick of this person or this situation. I don't know how long I have to keep dealing with this. Some of you guys are lamenting that I'm still preaching right now. Not seriously, this guy's got to shut up. I get it. So I'll try to keep going. <laughs> Don't give up. Don't stop praying. And then the last kind of person, you're a sold out person, you would say, I'm for Jesus. I'm for Jesus. I'm doing this thing. You know you're not perfect, you're working on it, but you're for Jesus. For life. This is it. For real. For you, I would say, Maybe people like that this week, maybe you can identify some practical ways that you can imitate Jesus and actually see people for who they are and bless them. Especially people you might not think deserve it. I end with this story. This week I heard a story about a second year senior at a local high school. He shall remain nameless, but um, he is in the special ed department. He's been in the special ed department, I guess, for quite a while. 
And um, he also has a daughter, which is kind of an interesting situation with him. And so he doesn't want to go to a charter school. He wants to go to this local high school, and he definitely has some, um, definitely has some disabilities. And the other day, one of the secretaries um, at the office saw him and asked him, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? And he said, Well, I'm going to spend time with my daughter, and then on Sunday I'm going to go to church. And they were like, wow, church, that's awesome. And he was really nervous about it because he had never been to church before in his entire life. Never been to church. And, and so they kept asking, they probed him a little bit and were asking him questions about it. And he told them that somehow he met, he met some guys that took an interest in him. An 18 year old with a daughter in a special ed program who's a second year senior in high school. And these guys took an interest in him and started hanging out with him, spending time with him on a regular basis. And then the next thing he said was that they started started hanging out uh, every week and studying the Bible together. They were teaching him the Bible and he was learning it. This week he showed up at school all dressed up first time. Never seen him look like that, ever. The secretary sees him again and says, wow, all dressed up. What's going on? And he said, well, this, this is how I dress when I go to church. I'm being baptized on the 21st. And so, yesterday he was baptized into the Mormon church. What if those of you and I who were sold out for Jesus went and lived like those Mormons, saw him, valued him, included him, loved him, showed him what Jesus looks like? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for all our friends who graced us with their presence and honored us with their visit today. We pray your blessing upon them and upon their college group. We pray your blessings upon their church and that you would open rich, wonderful opportunities for them, great doors to have an impact on their community. Bless their families in every way. Enrich them. Use them for your glory. May them be a shining light in this community. May your hand be upon them and you protect them and watch them. Lord, we pray for those of us who've been on this journey as Emmaus Road, that we would remember the things that you taught us, that this is really about people, seeing people, loving people, opening our lives to people, that this isn't about show business. This isn't about just an organization. It isn't about nickels and noses. It's about showing the world who you are, how you love. May we not be 
just hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, we conclude with a benediction around here. This comes from the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites after they were freed from um, captivity in Egypt for over 400 years. This is the blessing that God gave the priest to put on the people of God. So friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face toward you and give you and you and you and you and you and you and all y'all his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, to whom glory, honor, power belong today and forever. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ.